When you get groups of people together, you typically find three kinds of people. First, you do have those who cause trouble. They may do this through being critical of everyone and everything. They may do this by being grumbly, grackly fault finders that nitpick everything that goes on. They may do this by being gossips that knows and tells all the latest dirt. Now, there are all kinds of ways that they can do this, but the result is the same. They keep everything agitated, everyone aggravated, and a constant sense of strife going in the, in the group. Then you have those that just kind of want to get along. They aren't out to stir up trouble. They don't want to be involved in conflict. They just want to do their job, and they want to go home. They want to do their best to get along with everyone and avoid those that can't seem to get along with anyone. They're quite happy when their workplace is a drama-free zone. Then there are those who try to fix what the troublemaker has broken. Many times they aren't the boss, so it's not their job to fix it, and yet they do it anyway. Many times they aren't personally involved in the problem, and yet they put themselves out there to fix it. Many times their efforts aren't appreciated, especially by the troublemaker who works so hard to stir things up. Now most of us can put faces with the descriptions of the people described above. Something that I find interesting is this, is that very often we have a higher opinion of the troublemaker than we do of the person who works to make peace. We'll excuse the troublemaker on the grounds that troublemaking is just a minor flaw in their character. After all, nobody's perfect and it isn't that big of a deal. We'll say things like, oh, that's just how they are. You just have to learn to ignore them and go on. But on the other hand, those who seek to stop the strife are often considered to be busybodies that need to mind their own business. Yet when you get to Scripture, you find God sees things quite differently. Right? Oh, good grief. We're moving on. Um, scripture says a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Now, that's a pretty powerful thought. A perverse man sows strife. I mean, that's a pretty significant statement about the character of the person trying to stir up trouble. But this isn't the only place we find in Scripture where the troublemaker is considered to be a perverse person. But another place in Proverbs, it says perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. In a lot of ways, this verse is actually worse than the one before it because it's part of a section that starts off by basically saying this is what worthless and wicked people are like. But on top of this, Solomon once made a list of six things that God hates, seven that were an abomination to him, and the person who sows discord made the list. Now this is just some of what God says about the troublemaker, the strife stirrer. But what does he say about the one who tries to stop the trouble? What if I were to tell you that not only does God say that the person who tries to stop the trouble will be blessed, but each and every follower of Jesus Christ is supposed to be that person. But don't take my word for it. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. It's page 736 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew 5 and 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come today with a great desire to meet with you, to know that you're here, to have you work in our hearts and in our lives. Father, we need your grace to strengthen us today, to enable us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, it is easy to be the person who goes along to get along and doesn't try to 
not only not stir up strife, but not try to fix it. But God, you've called us to be more than that. So today as we look at what your word says, help us to take it to heart. And Lord, where there is strife, let us work to make peace. Lord, where there is strife in our lives, let us work to make peace. And God, if any of us in here, if we are the troublemaker, bring us to a deep place of conviction over that. Let us understand that how serious that is according to your word and the way that you view it, that we would repent of that, Lord, and we would come out of here different and we would seek to be peacemakers, not troublemakers, Lord. Father, have your way in our hearts today. Speak to us in whatever you need to be spoken to us. Fill me with your spirit. Let him guide me that I would speak your words and your ways for your glory. Don't let me be a hindrance in any way. God, just have your way in all things. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Jesus tells us that all of his disciples are supposed to be peacemakers. But what is a peacemaker exactly? Well, before we get into what a peacemaker is, I I do want to take a minute to explain what a peacemaker isn't. Right? Peacemaking is not appeasement. But appeasement carries with it the idea of peace at any cost. This would mean to be a peacemaker, we should never confront sinful attitudes or actions. We should never correct false doctrine. And we must complacently accept anything and everything that comes along so that we don't make waves. We are to make peace by being, uh, by appeasing everyone about everything. Now that is a type of peace, but that is not the kind of peace that a peacemaker is supposed to make. In fact, that kind of peace is contrary to Scripture. If you think about the New Testament, how many letters in the New Testament confront specific issues in the churches? How many of those letters actually call people out by name? Right? Not just, I hear that there are troublemakers among you, but, but Fred and John and, and Jim are troublemakers. They're stirring up trouble, and to them I say, stop. How many times does stuff like that happen? Or think about the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 which come from Jesus. In every letter, Jesus commends the churches. He tells them things they're doing right, but then he's very specific about correcting them for things. Things that included tolerating sin, allowing false teachers to teach, being lukewarm in their relationship with him, even having left their first love of him. Clearly, when we look at Scripture... Peacemaking is not passively accepting anything and everything that comes along so that we do not make waves. There are some things that are more important than peace. And there are times where we do have to stand up and fight for what's right. We have to do it in the right way, but we do have to stand up and say this is right and this is wrong. And if that breaks the peace, so to speak, then so be it because the peace that would come from tolerating sin, accepting sin, is not the kind of peace that God would have us to have anyway. So being a peacemaker is not passive. It is not accepting of everything that comes along. It is not being afraid of making waves. The kind of peace that we are to make does not come from dodging issues. Instead, the kind of peace that we are to make comes from actively facing issues, dealing with them head on, and then overcoming them. It is working for peace, even when doing so is a struggle, when it's uncomfortable, when it takes us far out of our comfort zones. Peacemakers are those people who solve disputes, erase divisions, reconcile differences, and do everything they can to eliminate strife. 
This is the kind of attitude that Jesus calls on us to have. Right? So peacemakers work to make peace out of conflict. Peacemakers work to make peace out of conflict. Now genuine peacemakers, they do not make a false peace by avoiding conflict. They step right into the middle of the conflict and they do everything they can to bring peace in the middle of it. What you're thinking is, man, that sounds like fun. I mean, that's the best thing ever. And probably not. Nobody, I think about, when I think about this passage and what it teaches, I think about the proverb that says that like yanking a dog's ears, a man who gets in a, a stir, a, a trouble, a fight that's not his own. I mean, it's a guarantee when we begin to work as peacemakers, it's not going to be fun. We're not likely to be popular. And yet it is the attitude that we're supposed to have. This is what we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus. Now, I think we would immediately recognize that there is an enormous difference between knowing what a peacemaker should do and doing what a peacemaker should do. It is one thing to know I should work to make peace out of that conflict. It is something different to step in the middle of that conflict and begin to work to make peace. So the question arises, if we're going to do the work of making peace, what should we do? Well, first we take initiative. We take the initiative. I think one of the easiest, maybe the most natural things for us to do when it comes to making peace out of conflict is to stay out of the situation until we absolutely have to do something. Two of our friends or two of our co-workers are out of sorts with each other The natural thing, the easy thing, is to stay out of it until we have no other choice but to get involved. If they press us or if they force us to get involved, then in some way we will. But otherwise, we'll do our best to stay out of it. I think we're also prone to do this when we're the ones that's out of sorts with someone else. We'll say things in our mind like, well, yes, we're mad at each other, we're out of sorts. And if they were to come to me, well, I wouldn't be a jerk about it. But I'm not going to do anything about it on my own. I'm not going to step out and and work to make peace with them. And while this is a, a natural response, and while this is an easy response, it is not the proper response. As peacemakers, we are supposed to take the initiative in making peace. We are to actively look for ways that we can help, rather than passively waiting until we have no other choice. Let me show you this. Look at uh, verse 23 through 26 of Matthew 5. It says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Now, this passage primarily deals with if someone is at odds with us, how we're to make peace in that situation. But I think the principles are essentially the same. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus said that we are to be the ones to take initiative. As we go through, if we think about it, if we remember it, if if it's brought to our mind that someone is out of sorts with us, we are to go to them. Now, it's important to notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say pray about it. Jesus didn't say, wait for them to come to you. Jesus didn't say, go talk to someone else about it. He said, when it comes to your mind, go to them. 
take the initiative and seek to restore the relationship. Now, something that should stand out is how important this is. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, I mean, that's the worship. right? The, if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system, that is significant. I mean, the offering was the most important act of worship that a religious Jew had. When you came to the altar to make that offering, this was, this was everything. If you come and you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I mean, that's a significant statement of the importance of working to make peace. I mean, if that doesn't give us an idea about how important it is that we be, we take the initiative to make peace, then nothing will. I mean, just think about what he's saying a second. If you were, to put it in, in our modern context, if you were walking into church this morning and it flashed through your mind someone who is at odds with you, what Jesus said you should do is immediately leave church. Go to them as best you can. Begin to do all that you can to reconcile that relationship. And once the relationship has been fixed, then come back to church and continue to worship the Lord that way. <clears throat> and we are to do it immediately. Look at what he says in verse 25. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the person, the officer, and be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Now, in Jesus' day, the way this sort of worked was you could take someone who owed you money to court. Uh, and it was basically like a debtor's court, and you could make them pay. When you were summoned to debtor's court, you could settle with a person who owed, that you owed money to right up into the point where you walked into the courtroom. So if you were at the doors, waiting to go in the double doors to go before the judge, if you settled to something, the person who brought the case could say, no, this has been settled, and it's over. But the moment you came in and you stood before the judge, it was out of everyone's hands. Whatever verdict the judge rendered, it was settled no matter what. And even if the judge said, you have to go to prison until you slave labor your way to pay this debt off. And the person said, oh, that's too much. I don't want him to have to do that. He would be taken away from his wife and his kids and he would lose his job. I don't want that to happen. None of that mattered anymore. At that point, it was out of his hands. The judge had rendered a verdict and it would not be undone. The point that Jesus is making is that we're to be passive instead of active because if we don't, we may end up waiting too long. You know, the old cliche says that time heals all wounds. But if you've ever been hurt by another person, you know this is simply not true. The longer someone is hurt without anyone trying to fix the situation, the, the worse the hurt grows. And the more the hurt grows, the harder it will be to fix the problem. Eventually, a time may come when the relationship can never be fixed. Now, there's a proverb that says, and I can't quote it exactly, but it basically says, a friend offended is harder to win back than breaking bars of iron. Right? In other words, deal with it quickly or it may ruin everything. Right? There may be a, a time where you go on and you ignore and you let it go until the relationship is forever ruptured. There may be forgiveness and not hostility. The relationship is gone. 
The goal of the peacemaker is to restore the relationship. That's why we take the initiative. We, we go before it's too late. Now, I do want to mention before I move on that we, we are not responsible for anyone's response. Right? If, if you and I are at odds and you come to me and try to fix it and I tell you to go jump in the lake, it's not your fault. There's nothing you can do about that. You have done all that you can. The issue is now between me and God because I'm the one in the wrong. So we go. That's our job. As disciples of Jesus, as peacemakers, we go. We do everything we can. But if they tell us to take a hike and they won't receive it, they won't accept the forgiveness, they won't accept the reconciliation, we're free. We have done all that we can. We are not responsible for the response. We are just responsible to go. We are responsible to take the initiative to do what we can to make peace. We want to take the initiative, but secondly, we want to move beyond superficial to sincere. Now, if you've ever worked to make peace with people, you know that that can be messy business. It's not easy, and it's not even fun most of the time. And if we're going to work to make peace with someone, we have to be willing to get involved in the messiness of life. Right? Because when two people are at odds, and it's really a, a sincere, they're at odds with one another, the issues are typically complicated and problems, and, and massive problems. Right? Being a peacemaker, it's not a spectator sport. It's not something that we can do while remaining superficial. If we want to be of any help at all, we have to be willing to move beyond superficial and be sincere in wanting to help and get involved to fix the problem. Now, I think one of the reasons that so few people work to make peace is because we prefer to be superficial. I think superficiality is one of the curses of our day. I mean, think about like social media. Right? You can be on social media and you can have 500 friends on social media. But you don't really know or have a deep relationship with any of them. We, we feel connected. We feel that we're not isolated. But in reality, we don't have the kind of relationships that are necessary to, to be healthy spiritually and emotionally in our lives. It, it needs more than that. It typically, it makes us uncomfortable. To, to do anything more than be superficial with people. It makes us uncomfortable to do anything more than be superficially involved. We are far more comfortable with superficiality than with sincerity. I, I think typically we even expect superficiality and, and not sincerity. I mean, if someone, if someone asks you or if you ask someone, how are you today? What is the proper response? I'm great. How are you doing? And the proper response is, I'm great. Thanks. Right? Nobody wants to get into the real nitty gritty. Well, my, you know, my back hurts. I don't know what's going on. It's been hurting for a couple of days. My, my car broke down and my wife came home with turkey bacon. I don't know what was up with that. Right? I mean, we don't want to get into anything deep or meaningful. We want superficial answers. Because in reality, that was a superficial question. If we want to work at making peace, we have to move beyond that attitude. The superficial peacemaker does not exist. And for just a moment, let's be brutally honest with ourselves about why 
we would prefer superficiality to sincerity. Why are we so hesitant to be sincerely involved in the messiness of other people's lives? But we might say, well, it's none of my business. But given what Scripture says, is that really uh, is that really an answer that we can give as disciples of Jesus Christ who are meant to be peacemakers? Well, I, I, I don't think I should be involved, or my favorite, I don't feel led to be involved in things that don't, don't directly involve us. But do I have to feel led to do things that Scripture says I'm supposed to do? Or, or is it possible... The reason we are so hesitant, the reason we so rarely get involved in this way, is because it makes us uncomfortable. And a harder question that flows from that, if the reason I won't move beyond superficial to sincere is because it makes me uncomfortable, then does that make me a selfish person? You know, no one likes to be uncomfortable. And So we protect ourselves from that by being superficial in things along these lines. And when we do this, what we're doing is we are putting ourselves and our desires and our comfort ahead of others, ahead of their need for peace. And when we put ourselves ahead of others, we remain superficial and we are unable to help people make peace. And the cold, hard truth is that putting myself ahead of others It is the very definition of selfishness. Scripture teaches we are to be selfless instead of selfish. The Apostle Paul worded it this way. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We are not the center of the universe. And we are not to live as though we are the center of the universe. We are to care about what's going on in the lives of other people. And we are to do what we can to help them in their time of need. And this often will require us to put their need for peace in conflict ahead of our desire for comfort. This will often require us to give of our time and lose sleep as we make ourselves available to do what needs to be done to make peace. This is not easy. This is definitely hard. But it is absolutely essential if we are going to be peacemakers. We cannot possibly work to make peace if we are superficial instead of sincere. So we take the initiative, move beyond superficial to sincere, and then refuse to jump to conclusions. How many parents have ever had something like this happen before? One of your kids comes up to you and tells you that their their sibling, let's say, oh, their sister, punched them. And and you, you get upset because your children shouldn't punch each other. That's just not the way we act in our house. And you go to the one who did the punching and you read them the riot act and you tell them what for. And after you finish your talking, they burst out with, but before I hit her, she poked me in the eye. And so you call the tattler up there and you say, did you poke her in the eye before she hit you? And now they say, well, yeah, but there was a good reason for it. And what you feel is you feel bad, right? Because 
You heard one side of the story and you jumped to a conclusion. When all honesty, it sounded like the kid who got punched deserved to get punched for poking somebody in the eye. Now, not that I've ever had that happen at our house, but I'm just saying that could be something that, that parents might experience in their life. But if you ever had something like that happen, then you understand the point about refusing to jump to conclusions. If we're going to work at making peace, it's critical that we talk to both sides and we do all that we can to know the whole story. Scripture warns about jumping to conclusions. The first one to plead his cause sounds right till his neighbor comes and examines him. If you only talk to one side of the story, of course that's going to be what sounds right because that's all you know. The first one to speak always sounds right in part. I mean, let's just be honest. Don't we typically slant our side of the story our way? I mean, don't we minimize details that, of things that we have done that might have contributed to the problem? Of course we do. And so does everyone else. Right? So we don't listen to just one side. We get both sides. Right? And, and Scripture says that this is important because he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and shame to him. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make as peacemakers is to give advice, to make judgments, or really to take any action before we've talked to all parties involved. Right? If, if Red and Sharon are at odds with each other, and all I do is listen to what Red says and say, this is what has to be done. According to Scripture, that's, a, that's foolishness on my part, and it's shameful on me. Because what I have to do is hear what Red says, hear what Sharon says, and kind of realize the answer lies somewhere in between the two stories, doesn't it? I mean, that's the point of the peacemaker. That's why you get all sides of the story. Now, this is, I, I would say, this is somewhat difficult in all situations. It is difficult to go to both people. Here's what's going on. Tell me what's going on. Tell me your side of the story. It's uncomfortable. It takes time. It's complicated. But it's even more complicated, more difficult, more uncomfortable if we are the ones that are actively involved in the strife. It is difficult, if not impossible, for us to be objective on our own. I'm at odds with red. That I, I mean, rare is the person who could say, well, I can see why Red would be upset at me because I did this, this, and this. Typically, what most of us do is, I can't, I can't imagine. I've been so wonderful. Why would he be upset at me? So what do we have to do? We have to do the hard thing of going to the person who is upset at us and say, why are you upset at me? What is the cause of the, the problem between us? It seems that there is tension. Is there something I've done that, that has caused this problem? I think a lot of times, if we do this, what we'll find is there's been a miscommunication. That, that is probably the most common kind of strife in a relationship that there is. Most of us have had a misunderstanding with someone that led to problems. And when we got right down to it, it boiled down to a miscommunication. 
Right? They misunderstood something we said. We misunderstood something they said. We took their tone in the wrong way. Something happened and we, we took it wrong or they took it wrong. And when we began to discuss, oh, well, no, that's not what I meant. I'm sorry you took it that way. And what could have blown up into something enormous and problematic was resolved quickly. But that requires us to, to hear what they have to say. To listen to their side of the story with an open mind. Not to say, I'm right. Now tell me why you're wrong. So that I can correct you on your wrongness. To listen to them. To try to understand their perspective. To see how what we did could have contributed to the problem. A lot of times, something as simple as getting all of the facts will erase the problems. Something as simple as just saying, here, the, getting the two people together for the neutral third party. Here's what they understood. Here's what they understood. Let's explain that. We'll work to make peace. If we're going to be peacemakers, we cannot assume that one side of the story has all of the answers. We cannot settle for one side of the story, even if one side of the story is our side of the story. We have to get the other person's perspective as well. Get all of the information so that we can work to make peace. So take the initiative. Move beyond superficial to sincere. Refuse to jump to conclusions. And then finally, be trustworthy. One of the biggest failures of the peacemaker is to share what, what you know about a particular problem with others. And the sad fact is, some people, they just like knowing all of the latest dirt. And if there is conflict between two parties and someone sees you getting involved, there are some who will come to you and say, Hey, is there anything I can do to help? Something I can pray about. What's going on there? That, that I, is there anything I can do in the midst of that? And while all of that sounds good and should be good, reality is it's not always good. The reality is, in some cases, those people, they just want to know all of the information. And the worst mistake we can make in that point is to break somebody's confidence and to tell the information that only we know. I would honestly say, that if someone pumps you for information, that should be a major red flag. That person probably is not trustworthy. But we have to be careful. Very careful. Because once we get involved, we're going to know things on both sides that other people don't know. And to tell that to anyone would be a major violation of their trust and their confidence and could not only irreparably harm the peacemaking process, but cause more conflict between us and them and damage our character in the process of doing it. I like what Scripture says. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Not the picture is eating when you have a toothache or trying to run on a broken ankle. That's painful. 
And we've all probably experienced something like this. I am not sure that there has been much in my life that has been more painful than to trust someone, confide in them. Only to find out they went out and told someone else. And let me say about this. We have to be careful. right? Because here's what we tend to do. Well, okay, Jason told me, and I'm not going to tell anybody, but I'm, I am going to tell Red. And, but Red's the only person I trust to tell. But the reality is, Red also has someone that he might trust to tell. And then Red might tell Bill because that's the person he trusts. And then Bill, Bill might trust Keith. And then Keith might trust Vic. And then Vic might trust Sharon. And Sharon might trust Kirby. And on and on it goes. And what you have is, you told one person you could confide in, that you could depend on. And then they told someone, and they told someone, and before long, well, you're, what you've been told has been spread out throughout the community. And not only has it been spread out throughout the community, it's been changed. How many of you as kids, you remember the game where you would whisper a secret in someone's ear, right? The teacher would whisper a secret and then they, they would whisper it to the kid and the kid would whisper it to the person next and on and on and on and on until the last kid told what the secret was. And what the last kid says is usually vastly different than what was actually told in the beginning because it was embellished, it was changed, it was altered, blah, on and on and on until it's enormously different. Well, if I tell Red and Red tells Bill and it goes on and on and on until it gets back around, who on earth, what, what's it going to say at that point? What are not only the, the secret that has been told, but what's been added to it? What about the character of the person who told me the secret is going to be irreparably damaged because of the change that has been made in that secret? If you're going to be a peacemaker and you're going to get involved, you need to be a vault. What comes to you stays with you. Never take it to anyone else because it is painful on the people going through this if we are untrustworthy. It is a violation of their trust in us. And it is nothing more than being a gossip. Look what Scripture says. A tell-bearer reveals secrets. But he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Now what we see in this, I think, is an either-or contrast. Either we are a tell-bearer who reveals secrets, or we are a faithful person who conceals the matter. But we can't be both. And the moment I tell the secret, I've ceased to be the faithful person. And I have become a gossip and a tell-bearer. And the end of that is anger. Surely as the north wind brings rain, so a gossiping tongue causes anger. No one likes to be gossiped about. No one likes to have their confidence violated. And if we violate that confidence, we guarantee there will be anger and hurt in the process. But more than that, we cease to be peacemakers and we become the troublemakers when we share what has been told 
to us. We should strive to be a trustworthy friend, a trustworthy third party, someone that could be dependent on a vault that what we've been told, it stays with us. It does not spread out because we are faithful, we are dependable, we are trustworthy. And that is necessary in order to be a peacemaker. Now the promise for the peacemakers is that they shall be called the sons of God. Why? It's because as we work to make peace, we are following the example of Jesus. That by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled. You see, at one, at one time we were all at odds with God. And we may not have felt that way. I know that I certainly never felt that I was at odds with God. And yet, Scripture says that our, our thoughts and our works declare that we were the enemies of God by those things. And so Jesus came and he came to make peace. Between us and God. He came to bring an end to that conflict. He didn't come and and fake the peace by avoiding it. And trying to act like it wasn't a big deal. He didn't ignore it. Instead he brought peace out of conflict. He conquered the conflict and made peace possible. And so when we work to bring peace between people. We are following the example of. Of Jesus. We are demonstrating that we are growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it demonstrates that we are the sons and the daughters of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a minute. There's a couple of questions that each of us has to answer this morning. The first is Do I need peace with God? Peace with God is found only through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have never made the personal decision to surrender to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, to call out to Him to save you, right now you need peace. You need peace with God and only Jesus Christ can bring it. And if this is you, You know that you're not at peace with God. And you're ready to surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord. I want you to raise your hand as a way of saying, I need peace with God and I want peace with God through Jesus. The second question is, do I need to make peace with someone else? This may be because someone is at odds with you. Or it may be a situation with others that you need to work for peace. And if this is you, and you know that you have a responsibility now, I want you to raise your hand. It's a way of saying, I recognize the need to make peace, and I'm willing to be a peacemaker. We're going to take a few minutes to pray right now. If you need to make peace with God, you use this time and you call upon God. To save you. And if you need to make peace with others. 
Use this time to pray for wisdom and strength that God would help you to have the courage and the wisdom necessary to be a peacemaker.